Listening to an expanded edition of Sports Day in the D. This is John out here with you for May 23rd, 2013. Just like we did in the Red Wings playoff show, we're going to get you set for Game 4. Tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern at Joe Louis Arena. The Red Wings are looking to expand in that 2-1 series lead that they got over the Chicago Blackhawks. And thankfully, my prediction has gone way the hell out the window. We'll get you set with everything that's been going on in the series, and we'll let you know if the Red Wings got a shot to get into the Western Conference Finals in the NHL. As we progress into the show, we're going to talk a little bit about the Detroit Tigers as well, as there are some interesting comments coming out about Justin Verlander, and Miguel Cabrera's absolutely been on a prolific pace, even more than the one last year when he won the Triple Crown at this point so far. Let you know how the Tigers are doing. And as we close the show, the NBA had an interesting game with the Indiana Pacers and the Miami Heat as the Heat edged out the Pacers in overtime. But there were some critical blunders by... Pacers coach Frank Vogel will get into that as well as far as the NBA draft lottery and whether or not Chris Paul is going to be leaving Los Angeles. Stick back with me. This is John Ott, Sports Day in the D. John Ott here back with you, Sports Day in the D. It's Game 4. It's the Chicago Blackhawks and the Detroit Red Wings. 8 p.m. Eastern tonight, Joe Louis Arena. You can at me at facebook.com slash Gunslinger and at Twitter at John Ryan Ott. I want to know the simple question. Do you win this game four tonight at the Joe? Red Wings are up two to one. There's a few things you take away from the series so far before we even get into it though. Chicago Blackhawks, President's Cup trophy winners, best record in the NHL, number one seed. The Detroit Red Wings just finished off the Anaheim Ducks in a really difficult four overtime game seven series against the Ducks. Finish it off. The Red Wings are currently up 2-1. to one. They've proven time and time again, young kids, Joachim Anderson, Gustav Nyquist, Damian Brunner, Jakob Kindle, all those guys out there, Brian Lashoff, proven time and time again that, that they can go ahead and hang on against the big boys and prove that they're out there and they should be out on the ice. I'm not like that dumbass Chicago writer that went out there and wrote an article after Game 1, wrote a whole game story saying that the series was already over after game one. Dude, it's a seven-game series. The team's got to win four games in order to even get a sweep. How can you level anything off after just game one? I can't believe someone would go out and do that. Try to go ahead and find the information on Google. I already think that dude has already got reprimanded for that, and the article was taken down. So I couldn't go ahead and get that for you guys to look at. Absolutely unbelievable what I read on that. But here we're sitting, a pivotal game for Red Wings up 2-1. to one. Do you win tonight? The thing I throw out here is, I think that, you know, my predictions, you go ahead and you throw them out the window, I can't seem to get anything right. You know, you take that with a grain of salt. You can say, I'm a dumbass, I can't get any of my predictions right. And that's fair. But the Red Wings up 2-1. to one. This is a must-win game for the Red Wings, in my opinion, because... When you think about it in the grand scheme of things, you want to go ahead and get two games at the Joe because you'd feel a heck of a lot better because you either only have to win one game at the United Center or you finish it off at the Joe. That's really what you want to end up happening. Of course, anything can happen, and the Red Wings could take it, and they might just have to win multiple games at the United Center if they don't win tonight, and that's fine. But you put yourself in a heck of a lot of better position, as we all know. Do you think the Red Wings win tonight? And are you confident that they win the series? And if I throw it out there, if the Red Wings do, and I know that there's a heck of a lot of work to be done. I'm not getting ahead of myself at all. The Chicago Blackhawks, 
I still expect them to go out there and take this series. I'm not undermining what the Red Wings have done. It's a great story. They're playing their ass off. They're playing some fantastic hockey, and there's been a lot of Red Wings fans that have come out in drones at Joe Los Arena with all these jerseys on in support of the team, and damn right, and you know that they should because the Red Wings have given you a heck of a lot of effort, and they've proven that they've not only been able to just compete with all of these guys, but it's been amazing. A bunch of young kids. You don't have Nicholas Lidstrom anymore. You got Henrik Zetterberg and Pavel Datsuk, but after that, who the heck else do you have? And all these other young kids are able to go out there and get your production. And they really deserve all of the attention. But do you win tonight? Do you think that you got a shot to go ahead and go forward if you get past the Chicago Blackhawks? And how confident are you that the Red Wings now being up two games to one as they get set for a game four tonight, how confident are you that they're going to get away from the Chicago Blackhawks and finish off the series? There's a few things I want to throw out there as we preview what's going on in the series so far. Game one, the Red Wings, after just a day off, they go ahead and play against the Chicago Blackhawks. They get blasted 4-1. to one. Chicago outshoots them 42-17. They might have had even more shots than 42. 42 plus, I'll say. 4-1 to one against the Hawks. Nothing looked good. They got a lot of shots on that. They really outplayed the Red Wings in every facet. But luckily... Game one does not make an entire series because with three days rest, the Red Wings come out and they reverse the result. They get a 4-1 victory of their own at the United Center. And man, that United Center was more quiet. You could hear a pin drop. And that's not an exaggeration. Absolutely fantastic goals from Damian Brunner, Brennan Smith, and a nice shot from Johan Franz to get that top crossbar to get over Corey Crawford. And one of the things that I previewed in last week's Red Wings playoff show, we talk about one of the things I thought about in terms of maybe that just goes over your head. Is the Chicago goaltending as good as you think it is? Because that defense has been so good with Duncan Keith, Brent Seabrook, Johnny Odulia, Joel Emerson, all those guys out there. The Red Wings were able to, in game two, get a lot of shots. To get at least four more shots in the Blackhawks, I believe the final shot totals were 30-26, something like that. Red Wings were able to go ahead and get that job done, get some shots on Corey Crawford, pepper him, see what he's got, and were able to get a 4-1 win of their own. And honestly, in a Game 3, 3-1 victory against the Chicago Blackhawks, they were able to do the same thing. And before I forget, there's one thing I want to mention about that Red Wings Game 3 victory, 3-1. It's the fact that everybody seems to be talking about it from what I caught on ESPN around the horn before I went to work at the Oakland Press talking about how the Chicago Blackhawks got screwed and that the Red Wings should not have won that game. That was the topic that they let off on Around the Horn. Did the Blackhawks get screwed by the disallowed goal over the Detroit Red Wings? Talking about how one of the Red Wings players pushed one of the Blackhawks players into the net. Jimmy Howard wasn't allowed to make the save, even though it looks, in my opinion, too, that there was no goaltender interference and maybe the goal should have you know, stood. And that game would have been tied 2-2 two to two at that point. But you got to go back to that before you even get in the discussion about the goal that was allowed when Patrick Kane got a breakaway and scored on Jimmy Howard. We're talking about one of the Chicago players as Johan Freinsen's got his letters showing, he's got his back turned into the boards, and he just gets driven in the boards by one of the Chicago players. He's laying down fetal position. He's hurt. He's stunned. Even when he gets up later, like 
way after the play later, you would see him shaking his head and he was stunned and he was hurt. He was down for 30 seconds. You can't drive a player into the boards, him being hurt. All the Red Wings on the ice were just standing looking at Johan Franz and looking at the ref like, what the heck, this guy's down on the ice, he's hurt. Why the hell aren't you calling this? And then Patrick Kane goes all the way down and scores a breakaway goal because all the Red Wings on the ice are trying to attend to Johan Franzen. So the refs completely effed up that call. They allowed that goal to stand where the Blackhawks were within one at that point. So when you talk about Joe Quinville saying that was absolutely BS, that his goal did not stand when one of the Blackhawks players was in the net, yeah, it was BS. But the first goal, in particular with Patrick Kane being able to get a breakaway, was absolute BS. So the Red Wings got a makeup call. It happens. That's what happens when the refs make a mistake. They atone for their sins on that one, and it wasn't a tie game. The, one of those goals should not have been allowed, and in my opinion, that was the one with Johan Franzen and the Patrick Kane breakaway. So all the Chicago fans that are going out there and saying that the Red Wings absolutely boned us on there, you can go out there and stuff it. Because your goal shouldn't have even been allowed. So the Red Wings got the call that they should have gotten. and they were able to hold on to that 3-1 lead. But there were some other things that I take away from this. Things I take away from is Coy Crawford hasn't been as good in net as Jimmy Howard has. And I know that that's pretty simple, but Jimmy Howard has stopped 48 of his last 52 shots. The dude's absolutely been on fire. And there was a good point that was given from 97 on the ticket of Eric Thomas, of all people, the late show with... Thomas and Rieger and all of that. The guy used to be on the Banana 101.5 in Michigan of Flint. Great radio station, but now he's on 97 on the ticket. He mentioned in that light show, as he always says, I go by what I see. The Red Wings look like that team that used to be able to beat the Red Wings in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And what he meant by that, I got it immediately. I know it sounds like a confusing quote. But the Red Wings are now that team that used to be able to beat them. The one that would go out there, out-hustle them, out-work them, out-play them, out-shoot them, out-score, do everything they need to do in order to get that victory. Play dirty, play nasty, play physical, get shots, pepper the net, pepper the goalie, anything they can possibly do to get a win. The Red Wings look like that team that have more hustle, heart, and soul than the Chicago Blackhawks do. And listen, I'm not going to go out here and say that that's all going to last. I know what the Chicago Blackhawks are. They're a great team. They got a lot of depth. I'm not going to be like Jackie McMullen on ESPN around the horn and call the guy Jonathan Toes. It's Taze, lady. Get it right. Patrick Kane, Marion Hosa on that first line. You know you got Brandon Saad, an incredible player in my opinion. A lot of depth. Duncan Keith, Brent Seabrook, Jalmerson, all those guys. Absolutely incredible depth on those lines. But the other lines for the Red Wings... Just like we mentioned with Brunner, Gustav Nyquist, Joachim Anderson, all those all those young kids, they're out playing the Chicago Blackhawks in their other lines. And you know, you talk about Henrik Zetterberg being on Jonathan Taze. That's not a great matchup for Jonathan Taze. Henrik Zetterberg is be able to go out and be more physical, get those face-offs, and I'll play Jonathan Taze. Is it going to last? I'm not sure. Do I have a lot of confidence in the Chicago Blackhawks still? I sure do. And what I love, the Red Wings, to go out and pull out this series and get past the Chicago Blackhawks, you bet, you bet like hell I would. But this series is a long way from over, 
And these are two great teams. I think this is a must-win for the Detroit Red Wings tonight. I really expect Joe Louis Arena to be rocking. I expect the chance of Crawford, Crawford to keep on going. And I expect a lot of Octopi to be thrown out on the ice. Or the pearl is, I don't know, Octopi is the pearl for Octopus. There we go. Got it right. I expect all that stuff to be out there, and I expect a lot of jerseys. I've never seen so many Red Wings jerseys being worn at a Red Wings game. You know, it sounds kind of weird when I say that, but a lot of these guys are going out there and wearing their attire, and Joe Los Arena has been rocking. It's an absolute ruckus crowd, and you got to believe everybody's going to be behind the Red Wings tonight. I know globally the Red Wings are pretty much a hated franchise because they're just associated with winning like the San Antonio Spurs are in basketball. But the Red Wings are going to have to play their ass off. They haven't gotten the best from the Chicago Blackhawks yet, I believe, in my opinion, because of the depth of that team. The goaltending hasn't been as good for the Blackhawks. Jimmy Howard's outplayed Corey Crawford at this point. If that continues, then the Red Wings have a good shot. But we'll see how far that continues as we get you set for a pivotal game for 8 p.m. Eastern, the Red Wings have a 2-1 series lead over the Chicago Blackhawks. They're looking to make it 3-1 at the Joe tonight. Who do you got in this game? Do you believe the Red Wings can get out of this series? And do you believe you've seen the best from the Chicago Blackhawks yet? And what do you think of Jimmy Howard? These are the questions I pose to you as we close out the Red Wings. And coming in from the break, we're going to be talking about the Detroit Tigers and Justin Berliner, Miguel Cabrera in particular. Stick back with me. This is John Ott, Sports Day in the D. Thanks for sticking back in for Sports Day in the D. John Ott here with you. I know that last Red Wings-Chicago Blackhawks segment got a little bit heated, but what can you do? There was just certain things that happened in the part of the game, and it's a heck of a series. It's an original six team, and there's going to be a lot of stuff going on tonight. With that said, let's get into some Detroit Tigers news. We're talking about the Detroit Tigers now being 25-19 and 19 on the season. So that's 44 games so far in the season. And you wonder, as they sit at 25-19, and 19, there there's some good parts about this team. You know how good the offense is. Austin Jackson's hurt with a hamstring right now. But Torrey Hunter has been a hell of a contributor for the Tigers so far. Talking about him being hitting 313 and having 21 ribbies. That's a lot of production for Torrey Hunter. Johnny Peralta being one of the best hitting shortstops in the league this season. 321, 4 bombs, 19 ribbies. Omar Infante, one of the best second basemen, I believe he's third right now on the list, averaged 314. Prince Fielder, his average is in the 270s. It's not as high as you would like it, but he's got 39 ribbies, 31 walks, and he's already been hit by a pitch a bunch of times so far this season. So... The offense is not anything to worry about for the Tigers so far, but the Tigers did pick up two huge wins over the Cleveland Indians right now. The Cleveland Indians are 26-19 of the two-game series. It was a short two-game series, but the Tigers really needed to win these games to get themselves back on track because what happened to them in Texas is they were able to only earn a split and give up just a lot of runs. They really need to go ahead and prove themselves. And the one thing that you take away from Miguel Cabrera so far this season is he's got 13 homers on the season right now and 52 ribbies. At this point last year, you know Miguel Cabrera won the Triple Crown last year. At this point last year, his average is roughly up 80 points. He's hitting 387. 
I believe he was hitting 15 bombs last season at this point. He's got he's got 13 now, so the bombs are only down a couple. But his ribbies were 38 last year. He's got 52 now. Well, you mentioned he's won the Triple Crown last year. And this ultimately makes you think of, can he do it again? Can he win back-to-back Triple Crowns? And I've been watching MLB now for the last couple days, and there's been some comments from Barry Bonds saying that, Miguel Cabrera is a great hitter, but he's never going to do what I can do. And in terms of Barry Bonds saying all of that, yeah, he was better in the outfield. Yeah, he's got more speed, and he can get you some plays and flash the leather. But Barry Bonds' head and Miguel Cabrera's head, Barry Bonds looks like one of the cone heads. The dude shot up so much roids, I'm surprised he's still alive. His head is like the size of my 42-inch Panasonic Vera TV. It's absolutely astronomical. I don't believe that Miguel Cabrera is one of those guys that's shooting up steroids. And not just because of the, you know, ridiculous amount of testing that they do now. You know, David Ortiz, Big Poppy, has been getting a lot of that with that ma- that masterful uh, hit streak that he's had, whether you regard if that's legit or not, being from last season extended into this season. David Ortiz has had some great numbers, but he was a guy that was induced with roids and all of that, and he went out there and said all of that as much. Miguel Cabrera, in terms of Barry Bonds' comments, I believe Miguel is never one of those guys that went out there and did steroids. I can't prove it. I'm sure he's been through a lot of testing, but I just believe he's just that good. Yes, his power numbers might not be as much of everybody else's in Major League Baseball, but I do say he plays in Comerica Park. That's not exactly the most home run friendly ballpark as you would say Rogers Center is with Edwin Encarnacion and Jose Batista in Toronto, but it is a doubles and triples alley. That's what Comerica Park is. In terms of those power numbers, Miguel Cabrera might not be able to reach it, but what he's doing in terms of hitting the baseball is absolutely incredible. The game on Sunday, and I love that ESPN commercial. It's too bad that we don't get to see that anymore. I want to play that audio. I wish we were able to find that and play that for you. But Miguel Cabrera is sitting out there, and he's trying to ring the doorbell to get in. He's like, it's it's the Triple Crown thing in heaven. He's like, hey, let me in. Oh, Miguel Cabrera, oh, you can get in. Yeah, well, that hasn't happened since Carl Ustremski. Yeah, it's a real award, and yeah, Miguel Cabrera won it. It was the Triple Crown. And it said, if Jim Leland, if there wasn't a Miguel Cabrera, he would call the baseball gods and have Miguel Cabrera invented. It's a very great commercial. And then it said, Miguel Cabrera, he's about to take the stage against the Texas Rangers. Go out and watch. Yeah, the Tigers didn't win that game, but Miguel Cabrera hit three bombs and was a perfect four for four with five ribbies. I've never seen a guy hit back-to-back bombs and then get walked to load the bases to pinch to Prince Fielder. And then the next time he comes up, he hits another bomb. It's surprising that the Tigers still lost that game. He was only the second guy to ever hit three bombs in one game and go out and go perfect and still lose the game. But still, Miguel Cabrera is the best hitter in baseball. He may not be considered the best player in baseball because Bryce Harper and Mike Trout, who Mike Trout just recently hit for the cycle against the Seattle Mariners, that was awesome to watch. 
He Miguel Cabrera might not be considered the best player in baseball, but if you sit here and tell me that he is not the best hitter in baseball, you're absolutely full of yourself and you're a liar. He is the best hitter in baseball. He's absolutely incredible, and it's an absolute treat and fortunate for Tigers fans to be able to watch this guy every day. In fact, one of the games where the Tigers just won last night against the Cleveland Indians after what a two-hour rain delay it was, the game just seemed to never end. Cleveland, with two guys on base, they go ahead and pitch to Miguel Cabrera, and he just deposited it in the outfield, and Tigers end up getting double digits in that game, and they win. And they get a, a big two-game series against the Cleveland Indians, who'd won 12 of their last 14 games. They were absolutely hot. And like the last two seasons, the Cleveland Indians were able to go out in the last couple of months and have a lead in the AL Central, but then the Tigers, seemingly after the All-Star break, flip that switch and get stuff done. So my question to you is not being concerned about the offense, because when you think about it, and the Tigers' offense, they're first in average at 282, they're first in ribbies at 233, they're first in on-base percentage at 350, the offense is good. My question to you is, are you concerned about the pitching? And we'll get into that. Tigers are first in home runs allowed, only giving up 26. Their ERA is in the middle of the pack, 383. And they're first in strikeouts with 432. But this is where you get concerned a little bit about the pitching. Justin Verlander, your ace, the guy that's just signed a monster contract, is currently 5-4. and four. His ERA is sitting at a 366. And he's got 21 walks already in 50 some innings pitched. Are you worried about Justin Verlander? I'm not talking about the Kate Upting thing and all that stupid stuff like that. I'm talking about when you're watching Justin Verlander and he already has five outings so far this season where he's thrown 30 plus pitches in an inning. His mechanics just seem to be a little bit screwed up. It just seems like he can't place the ball where he wants it. That's what What's happening when you watch in Justin Verlander? The velocity and everything else seems to be there, but it just seems like he's aiming the baseball, or it sometimes can't seem to find the strike zone. Maybe some of his other pitches might not be on point, but it's a little bit different from three years ago. And I'll admit it, I was one of those guys out there that openly used to bash Justin Verlander. Because about three years ago, and this is before the Cy Young, before he's the best pitcher in baseball and all that, I shut my mouth on all that because Justin Verlander is the best pitcher in baseball right now. You might argue you Darvish, and that could be a close second. You Darvish is pretty darn good too. But Justin Verlander about three, four years ago used to be one of the guys that would go out there. He's still throwing 98-99. The velocity is still good this season. But he would be a guy that goes out there when he got in trouble. Yeah, he'd throw a lot of pitches like he's throwing now, but he would just throw the fastball to get out of the inning. Now he's mixing up all of his pitches, and he's become a dominant pitcher. He's thrown the curveball. He's thrown the circle change. He's thrown the two-seamer. He's got a ridiculous fastball. He's got everything else that he needs. Now it just seems like he's able to throw all these pitches, but his mechanics are a little bit out of whack. Are you concerned about Justin Verlander, or do you think he's going to pick that stuff up? Because it was interesting, after this hour rain delay, Justin Verlander already had 100-plus pitches thrown after five innings. He goes out there after an hour rain delay, and Jim Leland throws him out there in the sixth to go about 115 pitches on the night and just pitch a sixth inning, get it done, try to get him to get some more work and find himself. 
Are you concerned about JV? And the question that was thrown out there in 97 won the ticket, I think was a good one. This was from a couple days ago. If you had to pick the Tigers to win one game right now, one game to get into the playoffs at this point in the season, do you put Justin Verlander out there right now to win that one game? Because I don't think you do. But all the Tigers fans that are going out there and saying or calling in, the crazy ones even saying, we should trade Justin Verlander. We should put Justin Verlander in the minors. I've heard of those calls. They were in 97 on the ticket. You can believe that. You can go on 97wontheticket.com, and it's the Detroit CBS local website. They might have some of that stuff in the archives on there. Absolutely crazy. I don't think all that stuff should go that far, but I would be lying to you if I said I wasn't a little bit concerned. Right now, I believe the best pitcher for the Tigers, they talk about Max Scherz and all that. Anibal Sanchez got roughed up in his last last outing out there, but Anibal Sanchez has been pretty good for the Tigers. His ERA, roughly 2.6, 2.7, pretty good. He had the game where he had the 17 strikeouts against the Atlanta Braves, the Tigers were able to go out there, sweep the Braves, get swept by the struggling Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. It, it, it was a little bit disappointing there, but Anibal Sanchez, I believe, has been as good as advertised. He's been the best Tigers pitcher so far this season. What do you make out of Jose Valverde coming back? There was a lot of bets around work. Is Jose Valverde going to be a guy that goes going to go out there and get you 30 saves? I'm not sure if he's going to go out there and do that, but... In tonight's game, Jim Leland had sent him out there against the Cleveland Indians, and Valverde was throwing something called the split-finger fastball. I hadn't seen him throw that about a year and a half. He's won all fastballs. <laughs> and that it's just been a little bit different. You got the yin and yang goatee, as all those guys like to say. That's pretty funny, the half-black, half-blonde goatee, and all that stuff out there. Are you confident in Jose Valverde? Are you confident in the pitching staff? Are you worried that JV is not going to be able to turn it around? Those some of those questions I have out there at facebook.com slash tbugunsler. You can get at me. Or Twitter at John Ryan Ott. Let me know what you think about the Tigers so far this season. Because I think the offense has not been the problem for the Motor City Kitties. But the pitching has raised a little bit of a concern. And as the Tigers get set for a four-game series against the struggling, lost eight in a row, Minnesota Twins, as they get set for that series, they need to go ahead and make some hay and get into first place in the AL Central. When we come back in from the break, we're going to talk about a little bit of the NBA. The Indiana Pacers, the Miami Heat, have some concerns about Frank Vogel for the Indiana Pacers head coach. Talk about the draft lottery and some marquee players in the association. Stick back with me. This is John Ott, Sports Day in the D. John Ott, Sports Day in the D. We're going to close out the show here, May 23rd, 2013. We're going to get into some association news in the NBA. Eastern Conference Finals finally got underway. And let me just say this for a second. As much as I love the NBA, you guys know all that stuff about me. Why the heck does it take so long for these games to just get underway? Let's take about two weeks sabbatical and then get into the next series. That's why everything goes into June, because you guys can't play every day. What everybody does in the NHL, all that stuff's 
over a lot faster. Come on, NBA, let's make these games go a little bit faster. Get more games in besides like maybe one a week. It's a little embarrassing. So finally, series gets underway. Eastern Conference Finals, Pacers and Heat, and it was a hell of a game. And at the end, the Miami Heat end up winning the game in overtime because LeBron James, in the last couple possessions, was able to go right to the rack. And I go immediately to this. I didn't get to watch the whole game as I get getting something to eat. Go ahead and watch in the overtime game. But immediately as we go ahead and talk about the Red Wings and the Tigers, I gotta go ahead and get this off my chest in terms of the NBA. Talking about one of the buddies at work, Jeff Dulac, going ahead and picking the Indiana Pacers to beat the Miami Heat in this series. And that was one of those games that they had to go out there and get homeboy. Because you think about it, Paul George played amazing from what I saw, especially in that OT. But what the hell was Frank Vogel thinking? In the last couple possessions, you're talking about George Hill going to the rack and then LeBron James out of the timeout, two seconds left in the overtime. He drives the rack, two seconds left, goes, gets it, and you don't need to end one because he just scored. They're up by one. They win the game. Why does Frank Vogel in the timeout go and take out Roy Hibbert? I know Roy Hibbert is not the fastest guy in the world. He is seven foot two. In my opinion, he is the best rim protector. He's not going to win Defensive Player of the Year like Tyson Chandler or Marc Gasol. And I know Carmelo Anthony might be a little bit soft. He might get a little outplayed by Nate Robinson, but Roy Hibbert had a huge block on Carmelo Anthony in that Knicks Pacers series when Anthony tried to dunk at the rim and Roy Hibbert did his best to Kembe Mutombo impersonation. Frank Vogel likes to take out Roy Hibbert in terms of having a smaller lineup to compete with the Miami Heat. But everybody in the world, everybody watching that game knows that you say maybe LeBron, all that stuff about him not being clutch, that's all thrown up the window. Homeboy's got an NBA title. He's going to be the guy with the ball in his hands. Dwayne Wade is hurt. Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade have five fouls at that point. Chris Bosh is soft, okay? LeBron James is going to be the last guy have the ball in his hands to give Miami a chance to win that game. Don't take out your best rim protector. That ultimately cost you the game. One of those drives for LeBron goes right to the rack. Boy, Hibbert could have been standing right in the paint, putting his hand up, just getting a little bit of a jump, packing LeBron, or at least making him go to the line to shoot two free throws. Don't let the guy get a straight lane to the basket or get matched up with George Hill, of all people, and expect him to not go right to the rack and win the game. Absolutely poor job by Frank Vogel. Paul George played his butt off. He had LeBron James have five fouls. Dwayne Wade got fouled out of the game because he fouled Paul George from behind the arc, who was cold-blooded, and knocked down three big free throws to give the Pacers the lead, and the Pacers cough it right back up because they take Roy Hibbert out of the game, and LeBron goes right to the rack with two seconds left and wins. Poor job by the Indiana Pacers. Should have had that game, and it would have been a huge one for them to go ahead and at least possibly you'd think Miami would go ahead and win the next game and be 1-1, and now they have a chance to be 2-0, and it just sucks some of the life off for Indiana. Will they be able to bounce back? Possibly, because they're one of the best teams in the game. 
that doesn't really have a superstar, but they play good team ball. Paul George, Roy Hibbert, all those guys. Maybe Paul George is going to turn into a household name now with the way that he's played. Everybody knew if you're watching the NBA that he's a good player, but you wouldn't call him a superstar, but he might be getting closer to that. But that was just one of the things that Indiana completely threw away. They should have had that game. Poor job by Frank Vogel taking out Roy Hibbert. Other things I have to mention, I want to say this openly. I didn't get a chance to mention this on the show, but this is just something that I've been talking to my friends about. In terms of the Golden State Warriors and the anything else, where the Memphis Grizzlies, Golden State Warriors, that's the series that I would have liked to have watched. It didn't end up happening. So the San Antonio Spurs and the Memphis Grizzlies face off against each other, and all I could end up thinking about in 2013 now, but all I could end up thinking about is those last two years when Memphis was the eighth seed and San Antonio was the number one seed and Memphis was able to edge out the San Antonio Spurs and advance on. And I thought it was going to be more of the same. But San Antonio has a 2 nothing lead now after getting that win in San Antonio to get ahead of this, the Memphis Grizzlies 2 to nothing in that series. Now Memphis has to go home, try to win two games, try to salvage something, because it looks like San Antonio is going to be able to play against the Miami Heat if I have to throw it out there. Maybe the Pacers will come out and bounce back. I'm not going to read everything in the game one, like I mentioned with the Detroit Red Wings in terms of the hockey segment. But it's a big-time mismanagement by Frank Vogel, and you can't give the Miami Heat too many chances when they have the better players on the court ultimately. So, with the Memphis Grizzlies, I can say that I was completely wrong, because I thought that Memphis would be able to go out and handle San Antonio. And like one of those things with the Oklahoma City Thunder ultimately losing the series, not because they didn't even have Westbrook, that was one of those problems too, but trading away James Harden ultimately hurt them as well. And maybe in this series with the Memphis Grizzlies and the San Antonio Spurs, trading away Rudy Gay to the Toronto Raptors is going to hurt them, because... A small forward presence and a big-time score would be something to have that would match up well in the series. Because then that way you go ahead and you put some pressure on Danny Green or Kawhi Leonard. Instead of having to make Zebo go up against Tim Duncan, geez, that might not be such a great matchup. And maybe both of those guys like Jeff Van Gundy, when they had Matt Bonner and Zebo jump up for a loo- for a uh, a loose ball and... Uh, Jeff Van Gundy said this is going to have to be the lowest loose ball, lowest jump ball in the history of the NBA because none of those guys could even jump off of a piece of paper. That was one of the funniest things you're going to hear him a spot on from Jeff Van Gundy. Maybe that was one of those things that Memphis Grizzlies are going to go ahead and end up regretting getting rid of Rudy Gay because they're going to need somebody else to go out there and score points. And as good as Michael Conley is, I don't think he's as good as Tony Parker. Everybody else can say, well, that's easy to go ahead and talk about. But Michael Conley has been playing his butt off. He's been really good for the Memphis Grizzlies. He's been one of those unsung heroes. But at the same time, Tony Parker is the best player on the Spurs. He's been for a few years. I know Tim Duncan is still really good, but he's getting up there on age. He can still give you at least 20 points a night. He can still give you double-digit rebounds. Greg Popovich does a good job of managing all those guys, and Tony Parker knows that he's got to be the catalyst to go out and give San Antonio a chance to win this series, and he's out playing Michael Conley, and I guess I shouldn't have expected that Memphis go out and do something in this series, 
but I'm just surprised that Zebo is not able to put more of a fight against Tim Duncan because he's really been shut down. In the NBA draft lottery, there's been some funny stuff going on in terms of the Cleveland Cavaliers and that video and everything else. Let's see if I still got that pulled up. And that means the number one pick in the 2013 NBA draft goes to the Cleveland Cavaliers. So you get a lot of shouting of yes, as Dan Gilbert was obviously very happy to get the number one pick. You know, they just got Kyrie Irving a couple seasons ago, and now they go ahead and get this done. But what I take for that, please go ahead and watch the video on ESPN. You can recap the draft lottery. Just Google it. Nick Gilbert looks like the biggest dork I've ever seen with the bow tie and the black glasses. And listen, I'm not one to talk. That kid's going to have so much money. His dad's so well off. He's in a much better spot than I am, but can you at least make him not look like a white Urkel? Jesus, that kid looks like a dork. I could be thinking of another D word to use, but I got more class than that, so I'm going to stay away from that. But dress him up a little better, would you? So in terms of all of that, the Cavaliers are in a good spot. You might not be able to want to get Noel because he's just coming off of that ACL injury, and he might not be the contributor right away for them. But when you think about Kyrie Irving and Tristan Thompson and Dion Waiters, they already got a pretty good club around them. So in order to add to that, it would just be pretty good for them. So it's they're in a good spot, but we'll see what happens with that. Is Norland's Noel going to be that guy? It'll be remain to be seen. And the one other thing I have to mention, too, is you talk about Chris Paul as he's been in the news lately in terms of the Los Angeles Clippers. Well, ESPN first reported from... Yahoo Sports, when I saw that on the timeline, talking about how Vinny Del Negro was let go as the Clippers coach. And, you know, you can go ahead and yell if you didn't see that one coming. And you're not going to hear anybody making any noise on that one because everybody knew that Vinny Del Negro was a lame duck coach. You kind of think about Mike Brown in the Cleveland Cavaliers days of LeBron James. There's a reason why the guy's record's so good. You got the best player in the NBA around you. And you got the best point guard in the NBA around you if you're Vinny Del Negro. You're not able to get the job done. You can go ahead and assess some blame on Lamar Odom for injuring Blake Griffin if you want. But ultimately, that doesn't come down as the major reason. The major reason is Vinny Del Negro could not make any adjustments after Lionel Hollins did when the Clippers had a 2 nothing series lead and they blew it and lost 4-2. to Lionel Hollins was the better coach. He outplayed Vinny Del Negro in terms of that mindset on the court, and the Clippers ultimately lost. Vinny Del Negro is not going to be one of those guys to go ahead and make adjustments. And if Chris Paul tells you, you better get rid of this guy, I didn't say it exactly, but you better get rid of this guy or I'm getting the heck out of here. If any of that stuff is coming verbatim, or if any of that stuff is even thought about, you better get that guy the heck out of there because you're not going to get any better point guard. Yeah, there was a lot of discussion about Deron Williams or Darren Williams, however you want to announce it. He's, it's Darren Williams. So there's a lot of guys that call him Deron. Think about it this way. He is the mainstay for the Brooklyn Nets. He's supposed to be 1A, 1B between Chris Paul and Darren Williams, right? He doesn't seem to look like that same point guard that he was when he was with Jerry Sloan and Carlos Boozer and the Utah Jazz. You can go ahead and assess blame on Jerry Sloan for making him have to go ahead and leave, but 
Darren Williams doesn't look like that same guy. It looks like Chris Paul is in the league of his own in terms of point guards. If he tells you that I'm going to leave, you better cater to his needs. Because unlike, you know, Mitch Kubchak not catering to Kobe Bryant's needs and not asking him about, geez, what coach do you think we should have? Uh, I don't really want Mike Brown. Let's get Mike Brown. I don't really want any of these guys, but we're putting them in there. Screw you, Kobe. They, they can't do that same thing to Chris Paul, because if Chris Paul leaves, Blake Griffin's a great player, but he's a great player because of Chris Paul. He's still got a long way to go in terms of rebounds and defense at the rim, because Blake Griffin is not the stopper, and DeAndre Jordan is not the stopper that you thought he was going to be. Yeah, he's athletic. Yeah, he can get some dunks, but the Clippers need to make some adjustment to their personnel on their team if they want to go forward. And Vinny Del Negro is a good place to start. Who's going to be the replacement? Boy, that would be pretty funny if Phil Jackson was the replacement. But assuming that that doesn't happen, and a lot of us probably think that that's not going to happen, my question to you is, I know that a lot of people aren't talking about this guy. How come Avery Johnson is not one of those guys you're talking about being a replacement? Yeah, I know the little general can be a pain in the butt. He's one of those guys that says, you better work your butt off. And he gets... You know, he wears out his welcome within a couple of seasons, but he was one of those guys before that when the Dallas Mavericks lost to the Miami Heat in 2006. He took them to the the NBA Finals. He's one of those guys that can go ahead and get the job done. He wasn't able to do that in Brooklyn because, let's be honest, Darren Williams and Brooke Lopez and all those guys didn't see eye-to-eye with Avery, and they wear out their welcome quickly, and the Brooklyn Knights had their sights set for something a lot more when they just got that brand new building in the Prudential Center and they just were able to get Jay-Z and Beyonce to be there all the time, be co-owners and all that. There is a lot of expectations. So job security is going to be not very, not very good. So does Avery Johnson get another chance? Does Byron Scott get another chance? I think that he was kind of wrongfully let go in Cleveland. That team... Besides for Kyrie Irving, doesn't have a lot of talent around it, but the number one pick and Dion Waiters, you know, hopefully he's going to get a little bit better and pan out to be better with Kyrie. That That's going to be your backcourt of the future, and maybe Tristan Thompson will continue to get better, and maybe Cleveland's going to have something. Is Byron Scott worthy of another shot? I believe he is, and a lot of people still talk about Jerry Sloan. I think he's still too old to sit at 78 years of age I'm not certain if you're going to want to have Jerry Sloan be back. Kind of like a Larry Brown situation. How long is he going to be in that coaching seat? Not very long. I don't think that that's a good one to go for. Brian Shaw is another name. for In terms of assistant coaches, the guy that needs to go out there and get a job. They're talking about one of the assistant coaches for the San Antonio Spurs under Greg Popovich going out there and getting a job. That might be one of those ones. And even Stan Van Gundy. You know, I thought he was a pretty good coach in in the Orlando Magic days with Dwight Howard. I thought he was let go because they wanted to try to keep Dwight Howard and then ultimately didn't stay. And now Mitch Kupchak's going to have to find out if Dwight Howard's going to stay. Maybe Dwight Howard would better benefit going to the Dallas Mavericks playing with Dirk Nowitzki. You know, Dallas has got a lot of money to spend. Maybe playing with Dirk and maybe playing with somebody that's not going to go ahead and sit inside the paint would be a better instance for him, so that way he can go ahead and dominate inside the paint while Dirk hits perimeter jumpers. 
Maybe they need to surround themselves with more talent besides Dirk and Dwight. But maybe that could be a better spot for him. So where does Dwight Howard and where does Chris Paul go? Who's got these coaching vacancies and where will they be filled? Those are just some questions that you got in the association. And is the Indiana Pacers going to ultimately be able to rebound from the blunder I think was made by Frank Vogel, who I believe is a pretty good coach, but he just kind of screwed the pooch on that one, taking out Roy Hibbert, because I really think having a rim protector and not allowing LeBron James to get matched up with George Hill or not allowing him to even have help for Hill as LeBron went to the basket to at least make him shoot some free throws cost Indiana a chance to win that game. I'm not going to go ahead and say it cost him the series. I think Indiana might be able to bounce back, but certainly would have been better footing if they were to steal the first game in American Airlines Arena. That's just one of those things. This is John Ott signing off for Sports Day in the D. Be back at you next week as we talk about more Wings and Blackhawks, talk about what's going on in the NBA, and get some MLB news. John Ott signing off. Thanks for listening. Back at it next week.